Alright, so uh, last time we discussed the virtue of justice and how it relates to our lives with God, how it relates to our relationship with God. And this time I want to look at the virtue of fortitude. Now, not to go over this again ad nauseum, but for those of you who haven't listened to the past uh, like three episodes, what would it be? Yeah, I think three episodes that I've done on these natural virtues. Uh, the virtue of fortitude is, I think the easiest way to think about it is it, it's courage, okay? But not just the courage, you know, and uh, courage in battle, that is, that is part of it, right? But it would also be, you know, courage in uh, relationships with other people, okay? I, I believe, I might be wrong on this, but I, I believe that the word, the English word fort, fort, like what a, a military would use uh, to protect themselves in a battle, right, is actually a derivative of the word fortitude, meaning like you're a, like you can think of like a castle. It's it's meant to be hit with many, with uh, many missiles and, you know, you know, catapult, catapult missiles and all that. So it's meant to take a large beating and still stand firm. Okay, I think, I think that's a, a a good way to think about this virtue of fortitude. Because it's not just the courage maybe to run into battle, but it's also the courage to hold hacks upon ourselves from from others. Okay. So how does this virtue of fortitude then connect into our relationship with God? Well, I think first of all, it it comes, the first thing that would come to mind would be the battle against against sin and against temptation, okay? If we're gonna be like a fort, if we're gonna be uh, fortitudinous, I, I believe that's the word, <laughs> against sin, it means that we have to be willing to, to stand through temptation. We have to be willing to be a bulwark, right? Uh, it's an older English word, basically uh, another synonym for a fort almost, so that we might stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. And and who is our main enemy? Well, uh, it is certainly the devil, uh, but as the church has taught throughout her tradition, the enemy is also our own flesh because of the concupiscence, the tendency to sin that we have. And it's also the world itself. Okay, those in the world that we have relationships with, maybe who are trying to pull us into a sinful life. So those are those are examples of how we can be cultivate the virtue of fortitude in our life or, or at least why it's important for our life as Christians. You know, j- just initially thinking about that, it it helps us to say no to temptation and say yes to virtue. Okay, that's what the natural virtue of fortitude can do for us. How else can it aid us in our relationship with God. I think it can help us do what is right when situations call for it. So not only not only denying sin, but being courageous enough in certain situations to to do the right thing when it might incur a cost. Okay, when it might incur a cost. And I think the the greatest example of this, and I think this is also why I would consider the virtue of fortitude to be uh, 
kind of the climax of the natural virtues because fortitude is the virtue that we primarily need if we are going to be martyred. If we are going to give our lives for our faith, we need to have cultivated the virtue of fortitude. We need to have cultivated that courage. In order to be a martyr takes immense courage. Immense courage. I mean, think about it. The very uh, present example in our world today and throughout much of the last, let's say, 1400 years, 1500 years, has been the threat of Islam against the Christian world. Okay. It began, you know, in the six, seven hundreds when the Muslims started taking the Holy Land and Jerusalem, and then in the eight hundreds when they started uh, conquering Spain and, and some of the lower parts, I believe, that were even what we would even consider France today. And then in the, uh, what would that have been, the 15 and 1600s, when they were uh, conquering Byzantium, they, they had continuously been attempting to conquer Byzantium and were kind of taking chunks and chunks of it over over the 500 years previous, ever, ever since, like between the year 1000 and 500, thereabout, the, the Muslims were continuously trying to take more and more of the Byzantine Empire, right? And I think I've said this before, but the, the uh, Second Council of Lyon was called primarily to store union between the Eastern churches and the Western churches. And the reason that that union was desired, and, and it, was, it was desired primarily by the Emperor of Byzantium and the Archbishop of Constantinople, or the, the Patriarch of Constantinople, because they were uh, rapidly, excuse me, they were rapidly losing at that time a lot of land to the, the Muslims which were conquering their empire. You know, fa famously the Crusades throughout the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries primarily were against the Muslim invaders uh, of the, the Middle East, uh, to, to, trying to defend the Holy Land, but also uh, the Byzantine Empire from the Islamic armies. So, sorry, I got off on a bit of a tangent there, but the, the threat of the Christian, uh, from the Muslims to the Christian world has been present really ever since Islam was started by Muhammad in the in the 400s. I believe it was. No, maybe it was the 600s. I think it was the 600s. Yeah. Ever since Islam was started in the 600s, it has posed a threat to the Christian world. It has also given us great advantages as well, right? Uh, you have the, the philosophy of, of Aroes in Spain and Avicenna in the, uh, I believe, what was considered the Babylonian Empire, or the, well, I think at that point, it was like the, oh, one of the Muslim empires. I can't remember which one it was. But um, you have Averroes and Avicenna who greatly influenced many of the scholastic thinkers, particularly in the, what would that be, in the 12th and the 13th centuries, okay? And, and famously, they had an, an influence upon Thomas Aquinas, right? But also many people before him as well. And then uh, the Islamic world also gave us great uh, leaps and bounds in mathematics and in, in navigation, okay? just to name a few things, right? I'm, I'm not trying to say here that the Islamic world was, was all bad, right? There were certainly many things that the Islamic world has contributed to society in general, but also in particular to the Christian West. But 
they have posed a threat, a continuous threat. It, it ebbs and flows, but it is always there to the Christian world. Uh, you can think of the Battle of Lepanto in uh, 1600s, mid-1600s, I believe, which the, the winning of that battle, really miraculous winning of that battle by uh, the, the Christians, because they were vastly outnumbered by the Muslims, the winning of that battle really was attributed to the praying of the Rosary. And this is why you have the feast day of Our Lady of the Rosary on October, or no, I'm sorry, late. September 11th was the Battle of Lepanto, which is why, uh, you know, it, it, it was tragically planned for the famous attack on the Twin Towers in New York to happen on that date, because it was the date of the defeat of the Islamic Navy by the Christian Navy at that time. So, okay, sorry. All that goes to say, I just keep getting on for tangents here. All that goes to say is that Islam does still provide quite a threat to us. Now, not all Muslims provide a threat, of course not. There are certainly peaceful Muslims out there. You can think of those like uh, the Sufis, who uh, famously St. Francis was mistaken for a Sufi by the Sultan at his time, uh, during his time. When uh, St. Francis went to meet the Sultan um, and, and really to, to convert him, and the Sultan was so impressed by him, he asked St. Francis if he was a Sufi, because the Sufis, among the Muslims, are, are probably the most mystical, but also the, the most uh, peaceful. So I'm not painting a, a broad brush here, saying absolutely all Muslims are warmongering, you know, ready to terrorize you, but there has certainly been a lot of that throughout history. Okay and we're still seeing it to this day. So let's say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in France and I'm a school teacher. Some of you might recognize this story and I may not convey it exactly right because it's been a while. I'm a school teacher in France, let's say uh, 2010 or so. It's probably later than that, but let's say 2010. And a, uh, a man comes into my classroom, tells me to kneel down, he has a knife, and he uh, beheads me. Well, actually, I think the story went he asked me to go out and walk out into the street, and he beheads me there in the middle of the street, singing praise to Allah the entire time. This did happen. I, I forget the, the name of the, the poor fellow who was uh, killed in that instance, but it was in France, I believe somewhere between 2010 and 2020, so at some point in the last decade that happened. And there are many, many examples of this happening, especially in Europe over the past 15 years, very unfortunate. Very, very unfortunate. Because uh, there are many uh, Muslims who have been radicalized, and many throughout history who have been radicalized, okay? And I I'm not even sure if it's, if you can really truly call it radicalization, or if it's just they're legitimately trying to follow their beliefs. I, I don't know enough about Islam to make that claim. But I know the historical precedents there, and it's not surprising that this is still going on. So if they come up to me and they say, you know, deny Jesus and say that you will forever serve Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet, I pray that I will have the fortitude and every other grace possible on that day in order to say no. I worship Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity alone and I trust in my blessed mother and I have full fealty to the Pope of Rome. I pray that that day does not befall me, but if it does, I pray that I may have strength, the courage, the fortitude to, 
to properly endure on that deck. So, okay, I think I basically have gotten the point across about fortitude. So I want to take a step back and look at all four of these human virtues again, and, and we can kind of paint the picture here of how they relate to our relationship with God and why their development, why the development of them is necessary for not only a good human life, but also a good spiritual life, a good, deep, holy relationship with God. For a person to grow in sanctity, it is necessary, I will argue, for them to grow uh, and to cultivate those four human virtues. Initially with prudence, again, with prudence, I cannot make a right decision unless I know how to think and identify what the right decision is to do in a certain situation. So prudence is the, is the uh, virtue which allows me to make the right decision. So, and I'll just continue to use the example of martyrdom here because it is the climax, the, the really the, the greatest thing we could ever do in our faith is to be martyred, to accept martyrdom from the Lord. Either a white martyrdom of holiness and sanctity throughout our lives, or a red martyrdom of blood. Okay, so I need prudence in order to identify when it is proper for me to truly accept martyrdom, or when it would be improper and I would be throwing my life away rashly. Okay, there is a great prudence there that needs to be had. One, generally, <laughs> especially if one has a family, should not go run off to the nearest Islamic country and scream Jesus is Lord in the town square so that they are martyred. Okay, that has happened in, in, in Catholic history. There, there was, uh, at the beginning of the Franciscans, there was a group of Franciscans who did that in Spain. But I think in that situation, their being, having been religious and not having had families and, and, and the like, um, and being quite free of all temporal duties, I think they were free to do such a thing. Uh, now, one could argue, I think, potentially, that it may not have been the most prudent situation, or the most prudent action in that situation, okay? But I, I will kind of leave, I, I will kind of step out of that, that fight for now. <laughs> because the church has, I believe they're all blessed, and so the church has ruled on that, uh, you know, anyway. So I need prudence for that reason, in order to identify, you know, particularly when would be the correct instance to allow myself to be martyred. Okay. I need temperance. Temperance in relation to my life and in, in relation to pain, right? So that the fear of pain will not dissuade me from enduring that martyrdom. Okay. Whether, again, whether it be a white martyrdom of a long life done in penance or a red martyrdom given in blood. So I need to cultivate the virtue of temperance. And we see that, you know, quite clearly in in being temperate with our food and our drink, right? And that creates a certain amount of suffering within us. Because the, the main goal of temperance is to acclimate us to suffering for the greater good. Okay? That's kind of where that virtue becomes in a certain way. So then on to justice. Justice. If I do not have a good view of my stance before God in justice, but also in mercy. And again, like I said last time, last episode, you need justice to have mercy and you need mercy to have justice. You cannot have one without the other. If you have justice without mercy, you have wrath. If you have mercy without justice, you have, uh, I guess I don't know what the word would be there, but it would be uh, placency or just allowing a person to do whatever they want. 
in a situation and not rebuking them when it's necessary, okay? So I need the virtue of justice in order to know truly what I am before God, that I am a sinner and I deserve nothing but death. But then also that God loved me so much that he sent his only son for me to die on the cross and that I should be happy, to be happy, to partake in that martyrdom, to offer myself fully in union with the cross of Christ and shed my blood as he shed his, okay? That's justice and how it would relate to that example, that ultimate example of martyrdom. And again, with all of these, it doesn't have to be the example of martyrdom, just the example of sanctity, because true sanctity is a martyrdom. That's the white martyrdom, the martyrdom of a life well-lived in service of Christ. And then lastly, again, the virtue of fortitude. And I think I've, I've very, I've clearly laid out why fortitude is necessary for martyrdom. Not only martyrdom of blood, but a martyrdom of a, of a life well lived. You need a lot of fortitude in order to do the amount of, of penance necessary to, uh, to fix what has been broken, right? To, to, we, we've received forgiveness from God, right? In Jesus Christ. We've received forgiveness from God. But because of our sins, that relationship still needs to be healed. We can be forgiven, but it doesn't mean that, we're, that the relationship is all where it needs to be. And that's the reason for the necessity of penance. Penance is the healing of that relationship. And it takes a lot of courage, a lot of fortitude to be a truly penitential Christian. All right. Pray for me, my brothers and sisters, that, uh, that if the day comes that it would be right for such a thing to happen to me, that I might engage that situation as, as many sacrifices as it would require. Okay, well, thank you. God bless you. And I think this will wrap up, at least for the time, time being, our little series here on the natural or the human virtues. All right, thank you. God bless.